as of late, Salmia, I have had this really tiny pet peeve that I never knew I had, but it exists. And <laughs> it's been annoying me lately. Like every time I decide to log on and onto any social media, um, I think what's happened is that like I have a bunch of friends who are all Swifties. I like Taylor Swift's music. I would not consider myself a Swiftie. I'm not that in-depth on the lore of anything. But I think Instagram's algorithm decided to completely recommend all of the Eras Tour clips to me. So now every time <laughs> that I'm on any social media, all I can see is Eras Tour like news. Is this happening to you? Is this me? Am I the only one getting sucked into this? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that it's been recommended to me. Honestly, most of mine is just makeup and food. <laughs> but uh, on my Instagram stories, I can see that like everybody I know has been reposting anything related to Taylor Swift. I know that like her Europe tour got extended by 14 shows or something. I saw that. <laughs> all I'm yeah. really recognizing by all by having forcefully, quote unquote, having to watch all of these is that Taylor Swift's influence on not only the music industry, but like just generally is incredibly wild. I just read up on some news that apparently because of her tours, there's been a lot of boom, like a huge boom in the local businesses of the places she's touring at. And this is really helping them come out of some like very serious economic recession and like, you know, people who are unemployed, like they're finding jobs again. So it's like because of the, it's such an influence to be a part of Taylor Swift's concert that there's a lot of people traveling with all tourism. It's just crazy how you know, pop and music and like celebrities like that can impact just the world and everything in it generally. I think that's really cool to talk about, which is exactly what today's podcast is going to be about. It's going to be about the power of pop, both in the past and in the present today. Yeah. So pop music is originally originated in its modern form during the mid-1950s in the U.S. and the U.K. It originally encompassed rock and roll, but it's evolved over the years to incorporate a diversity of genres. So over the decades, we've seen a lot of pop artists come and go. In the 50s and 60s, rock and roll was booming. We saw the Beatles, Elvis Presley, the Rolling Stones, and more. And we can still see their influence today. There was a movie released about Elvis's life last year. Okay, in the 1970s and 80s, funk and disco was booming. And we saw Pink Floyd, Queen, Elton John, and more. While in the 80s, we heard from Michael Jackson, Madonna, and Prince. In the 1990s to the 2000s, it was an era of female powerhouses and grunge. So we heard from Mariah Carey, Celine Dion, and Whitney Houston. While in the early 2000s, Eminem, Linkin Park, and Coldplay were on the rise. And finally, in the 2010s to the 2020s, dance pop and boy bands are having their moment. So we've heard from Adele, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, and more. R.I.P. One Direction <laughs> every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these other artists, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, they're still going pretty strong, but... Going great, as, as I have witnessed multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> so pop stars we can see are clearly influencers, whether it's creating a boom for tourism 
Or in health, as we'll see in Elvis's case, pop stars have a lot of influence. So in 1956, polio infections were rampant in the U.S., while less than 1% of citizens were vaccinated. The vaccine had been launched the year prior, but then they suffered a blow when one manufacturer accidentally distributed live polio instead of inactivated polio, which ended up infecting thousands of people and slashed vaccination rates and public confidence. How do you accidentally do that? You know, just just question mark. Like, yeah. check, check what you're saying. Anyway. I don't know. But FDR, who himself had lost function in his legs due to polio, launched the March of Dimes charity to raise money and awareness for polio research and vaccination initiatives in order to combat polio as effectively as possible in all American communities, regardless of race, class, or creed. March of Dimes recruited many noble ambassadors to push their campaign, including Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe, Ella Fitzgerald, and Louis Armstrong. And I feel like we've also seen this in the COVID pandemic. Many celebrities have talked about the importance of getting vaccinated against COVID, and they also talked about the importance of quarantining. And Elvis Presley made a significant impact on vaccination rates among teen populations when he took his polio vaccine live. And because of him, teens began seeking vaccination and even advocating on its behalf. Teens were historically one of the hardest populations to sway in support of political and social movements. So this is a particularly exceptional example of musicians using their platforms for good. As he should. You know, follow Elvis Presley. And I know that you also told me that um, his wife is getting a movie soon. You know, <laughs> support it, entirely support it, as he should. <laughs> Another very, very prominent example, pop star moments used for good causes, was the do they know it's Christmas, quote unquote, and Live Aid. So basically, these do they know it's Christmas and Live Aid were a charity song and concert respectively, with the specific mission of fundraising for emergency relief funds for the 1983-1985 famine in Ethiopia. The song was co-written by Bob Geldof and Midge Ure after Geldof saw the BBC news coverage of the famine and how nurses had to prioritize which kids to treat and which were too sick to be saved. The duo recruited prolific British and Irish singers to collaboratively record the song including, you know, Paul Young, the Boomtown Rats, Wham. Like, there's a bunch of them that I have not heard of, but, you know, I bet they were the, the best. Corey <laughs> and Geldof then are organized a simultaneous concert and the, at the Wembley Stadium in the UK and the John F. Kennedy Stadium in the United States. About 72,000 people actually showed up to Wembley and 90,000 people attended the JFK. And a total of 1.9 billion people watched the stream of the concerts globally across 150 countries, which is nearly 40% of the global population at the time. So what I'm basically trying to say is there was an insane amount of coverage for the specific event. It was the most ambitious satellite broadcasting feat to have been attempted as well as a huge scale collaborative initiative to pull off simultaneous performance is in real time. Mick Jagger and David Bowie, these people I know, even performed one song at the time from the two different countries, taking turns singing their verses in sync with the pre-recording of the other live for their respective audiences. 
Crazy, crazy feat, honestly, altogether. Many of the artists who originally featured on the track Don't They Know It's Christmas actually performed at Live Aid, which was a concert. Other U.S. headliners, including Rick Springfield, REO Speedwagon, The Beach Boys, Madonna, all of these people were part of this entire event. And some other U.K. headliners also included Queen, Love Queen, and Elton John. Live Aid actually raised a total of $127 million for ending the famine. Following the event, Western nations donated enough agricultural resources to end the immediate hunger crisis while investing into systems to help them recover from this tragedy. Several other countries hosted aid concerts of their own inspired by the Live Aid event, making this concert actually an international cultural movement towards global philanthropy through music. In later years, the hit single, Do They Know It's Christmas, was re-recorded to fundraise for more emergencies and natural disasters, including two more famines and the Ebola epidemic. Some of the notable features of this uh, version of it include Coldplay and One Direction. So that's just crazy, crazy that internationally people could come together through music, through the power of music and pop to help those in need and those in crisis. So clearly there's a lot of examples of musicians using their influence and power to benefit public health. So Logic, an American rapper, released a song titled 1-800-273-8255 in 2017, which is the phone number of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. According to Logic, he wrote the song because many of his fans expressed that his music had saved their life. And this news made the rapper aware of how prevalent suicide ideation was. He wanted to do something to make resources more available to his fans and encourage them to continue living. And he intentionally made the title of the suicide hotline number to help engrave the contact into memory for his fans, as well as anybody else who needed to get the support for a friend. The day that the song was released, the hotline got the second highest daily call volume in its history. And in the following weeks, calls to the hotline rose by 27%. After the song's performance of the 2017 MTV Music Video Awards, calls rose by 50%. This song has been influential in raising awareness about suicide prevention, as well as normalizing seeking help. It peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100 charts and was nominated for two Grammys. That's so cool. I remember listening to that song and was like, that's a, such a powerful way to deliver a very like important, very needed message, honestly. It was a goosebumps moment, I feel like, when I heard the song, I remember. And I think, you know, last on our list of pop and power, we've got, obviously, <laughs> BTS and UNICEF with their hashtag end violence campaign. So if you don't know BTS, <laughs> it's obviously a K-pop group and they are also well known, for, apart from their dancing and their music and all of that stuff, they're well known for their commitment to writing culturally relevant songs, touching on youth experiences and advocating for self-love. In 2017, they launched the Love Myself campaign in partnership with UNICEF to raise awareness and money towards supporting UNICEF's hashtag and violence movement to protect children and adolescents from violence and bullying. They also spoke at the 73rd session of the United Nations General Assembly to launch UNICEF's Generation Unlimited program, dedicated to increasing opportunities and investments for children and young people from 10 to 24. As of October, 2021, the campaign has raised 3.67 
million dollars and won the UNICEF Inspire Award in the best integrated campaigns and events category. That is so wild. BTS have also donated to the Black Lives Matter movement, COVID-19 relief funds, and the Recording Academy's Music Cares philanthropy program. They have raised funds for reforestation efforts via their collaboration with the Forest Productivity app and have all individually donated to a variety of charities, including the Seawall Ferry Disaster 416 Family Council to support the families of victims and to Seoul Samson School supporting musical education for students hard of hearing. So basically, you know, the B BTS is doing a great job out here, you know, incredibly integrated with a bunch of social problems and social causes. And our scriptwriters want you all to know that it was recently BTS's 10th anniversary. So happy birthday to BTS. Yeah, so those are some great examples of the positive influence that musicians have. And now let's take a look at the globalization of pop music. So as you might have learned in your AP Human Geography class, globalization is the process by which businesses or other organizations develop international influence or start operating on an international scale. And the term musical globalization came into use in the early 2000s because this is when the majority of people in the world uh, started to have internet access. The internet played a crucial role in the globalization of music and allowed musicians to reach worldwide audiences. And in 1985, the rise of the video clip and music television changed many countries' musical choices. Research on the trends in percentage hits of foreign origin by country has found that the U.S. increasingly turned to their music after this year, while other countries generally turned to foreign music. Genres like K-pop have become popular in the Western world thanks to globalization. But some criticize globalization for hurting the popularity of traditional and alternative music when more widely appreciated and homogenized pop music is available. And I definitely can empathize with this. I feel like I hear the same hits on the radio day after day when I can find such a variety of diverse artists on YouTube. I don't use Spotify, I use YouTube. But yeah, I'm able to find so many great artists and it is a little disheartening to have to hear the same music over and over on the radio and to know that a lot of artists are going underappreciated. However, artists that make their music available on streaming services like Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Music also get wider exposure than they would otherwise. And globalization and the wide availability of streaming services allow for certain artists to become more famous and richer than they would have before the advent of streaming services. The globalization of pop music has also been criticized for westernizing traditional music like Indian music and African music for mass appeal and popularity. I know that many artists like, for example, Tesher, who's most famous for Jalebi Baby, has um, like imbued their music with a blend of both Western influence and their own like cultural influence, for example, like in Tesher's case, Punjabi influence. I am not entirely sure, but I think MIA as an artist is also one of those examples who uses kind of an integrated cultural approach to her music. It's kind of crazy. Cool that music is the bridging art between multiple things. I love that. And, you know, speaking of, we've, we can talk a lot about the impact of pop music just generally. Um, and just to give you a few specific examples, socially, the impact of pop music has extended all the way into human rights, as we've spoken about before. Human rights issues have been addressed by artists like Bruce Springsteen, Bob Marley, and Beyonce. 
And pop music has also been used to bring awareness to issues. This might be obvious or hidden in songs, meanings, or can be as you know explicit as the examples we mentioned before. There's also the pop culture influence, which is, you know, some songs have become iconic for their beat, their message, or socio-historical context, which have been become basically an inextricable part of the social fabric of the U.S. and Western world. For example, you've got songs by Billie Jean, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Hola California. I feel like if you mention any of those names in a group of people who've grown up with the same like culture in the Western world, you probably would get a very unified response <laughs> um, in terms of like, you know, singing and like having a good time. Interestingly, Barack Obama referenced Jay-Z's dirt off your shoulder during his campaign for the presidency. So I'd feel like these songs kind of scale. <laughs> they kind of like go up and down the social ladder. Pop stars have become revered personalities in the U.S. and many other countries. You may see pop stars venturing into other areas, like, for example, acting or fashion, since they've already have massive su and supportive fan bases. For example, you've got like Harry Styles and Dunkirk and other movies. Yeah, there's like there's a bunch of examples, but that's like the one on top of my head. And, you know, this is because artists' revenue streams are no longer only tied to their music. Some pop artists became idols who were seen as godlike role models or even sex symbols. Michael Jackson, arguably the most famous pop artist to ever live, was accused of child sexual abuse and other crimes, but his star status has not faded. The stardom and power of famous pop artists have been substantial since globalization. Um, this is obviously not this, you know, things can go both ways. You have people that idealize these figures and if they do something wrong, it's like, it's, it becomes a lot harder to criticize, but in some aspects it becomes a lot easier because, you know, a lot of the criticism comes from the behind of a, like behind a screen. And it's just, it kind of ventures into cancel culture and everything, which is a whole different topic. So, you know, there's a lot of intricacies involved to the influence of pop culture and globalization on pop culture. Lastly, we've got a lot of technological advances that have, you know, influenced pop music in today's day and age. Better microphones allowed for easier, cheaper, and higher quality recordings. The availability of television in the 1950s forced pop stars to have a visual presence, especially when music television channels like MTV started popping up. Wow, that is something I've not heard in a very long time, but yes, MTV was a thing. <laughs> in the 1960s, inexpensive handheld radios allowed for more pop music growth. And as for the prices for recording equipment and software dropped, Pop music creation is becoming more and more accessible. It is now also possible to create background music and mixes electronically, whereas real instruments were used before music software came about. So what it's saying is anyone has the potential to be a pop star. <laughs> Some people take that in the best way possible. Some people take that and ruin the good name of music. But, you know, <laughs> you win some, you lose some, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy that music has had such a unifying effect and positive presence in most people's lives. And I'm kind of excited to go to ACL this coming year. Are you going? No. <laughs> Wait, are you excited for like any particular artists? Yes. Oh my God. There's Noah Kahan is coming to ACL. Oh, yeah, that's like, okay, that's the reason like I don't go to these things. I only recognize like two artists, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I know Noah. So oh my God, I'm so excited for him. Yeah. <laughs> my friend and I, who are going together, have been talking about this for ages. And we were like, mm -hmm. if we're in our senior year, we might as well experience the live music that mm -hmm. Austin has to offer. And so, and Noah Khan's going, you know, it's all a good mix. 
it's all a good mix. So very excited for that. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to our little rendition of pop in the past and present, the power of pop. And we will see you next to next week with something interesting, something cool. <laughs> Anyways, I've been your host, Akshi. And I'm so Mia. And we will see you next time. Bye, all. The Unfinished Mind is brought to you by the Polymathic Scholars. Our scriptwriters this week were Niels Levy Tubot and Neha Yawagar. Sound design by Bolong Tang. Produced by Caitlin Hawkins and Bill Tang. Our publicists are Claire Nevins and Nadine Parmana. Hosted by Akshi Pant and Samia Sridhar. Thanks for listening and remember to follow your curiosity. <laughs>